Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to wellness professionals ready to inform and inspire. Today's topic is Power Gateways of Menopause. Rewrite your narrative. My guest is Erika Terblanche, positive psychology coach, international endurance athlete, and author from Cape Town. You are so welcome, Erika. It's so lovely to hear your lovely voice and to have another opportunity to engage in this really important work that you're doing. Thank you for inviting me, Maria. Thank you, Erika. To our listeners, after our conversation, Erika will give us her three tips on public speaking, and then it will be fun question time. Erika, for those listeners who haven't listened to our other episodes, could you please explain what you do? Lovely. Thank you so much. So, Mariette, I'm in the business of helping people feel better. That's probably the best way I can describe it. So I've got 20 years of um, experience in corporate strategy, uh, organizational change, and the struggles that people have at work. I've got 20 years experience in being a coach in psychology, in positive psychology, which is the science of moving people from zero to 10. So it's not focused on uh, being ill, but it's focused on how do you make the most of your one precious life and moving you from languishing to thriving and becoming really ultimately the best that you can be in service um, of those around you and things um, a greater cause than yourself. So ultimately, I'm a happiness coach. You know, if you want to boil yes. it down to the simplest description. And I use science, I use psychology, I use a lot of the um, lessons and wisdoms that I learned in 20 years of international level endurance running, of sometimes running more than 200 kilometers at one time, and really testing the practices at that place where we can uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of what really works and what doesn't. Today we're talking about menopause and the huge changes it involves. I've heard women going through menopause say that they suddenly feel invisible or less than before. But your view is very different. You focus on the power that menopause can unleash. Let's start with the way society tends to view menopause. Mm. So uh, I just want to hashtag a word that you mentioned there, Mariette, and that's the word, uh, an enormous change in one's life. And the moment that one goes through change, and I really want to say to listeners, think of your life and think of all the profound changes that you've seen in your life. Maybe they were difficult changes and uh, discomforting or uncomfortable ones. It is in these moments of change where we have the greatest opportunity to remake our life in the direction that we desire. So before I just touch on how society thinks about menopause, I just want to say how incredibly excited I am to talk to you today about this opportunity, this gateway that we go through in our life. And, and the reason I start with the positive is because we miss this opportunity. And the sad thing is that today in our society, in modern Western world, we do not celebrate this powerful 
uh, gateway of a woman's life. Now, if I just had to ask you, all the listeners right now, to just think, what is your opinion about um, menopause? Do you think this is the, the beginning of the end? Do you think that this is perhaps maybe just the beginning of old age? Um, do you actually think that menopause is the beginning of the best part of your life? What is your opinion about menopause right there where you sit right now? And the most profound thing for me is that we need to recognize that we're going to spend 30 to 50% of our life, a third to a half of our life in this stage. This is not a throwaway stage. You know, and I know that many women who go through menopause, and I'm now talking about the societal narrative about menopause, that many women who start going through menopause say they begin to feel invisible because suddenly, um, as as they begin to age, it is as though uh, the world has written them off. I've got a very good friend and uh, co-collaborator that you met, Lizanne from Dialogue South Africa, and I'll mention Dialogue again later. And she said as she started going through menopause, she simply felt like she wasn't counted anymore in the room, as though she became invisible. And so she coined this incredible slogan, which uh, goes something like, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> because it recognizes that there is this massive period of life that is, you're not productive from a fertile point of view anymore, but it is perhaps the most productive period of your life um, that is beginning and that we really need to step into this in, in a powerful way. And the society around us does not celebrate this. There's a research study that I recently read conducted with Turkish women, um, and they found that 51% of the Turkish women were approaching menopause with feelings of fear and dread. And, you know, we uh, had our first menopause roundtable that you were a part of some weeks ago together with Dialogues of Africa, and many of the women around the table described that they felt fear and trepidation going into menopause. And I think the reasons for this is it's variant. I mean, we have an ageist society where um, there is definitely discrimination against people who are getting older. We do not live in a society where age is revered. Our elderly go to old age homes. They don't play an active uh, role in our society and, and in our lives anymore. And they really, um, old people are not, they've forgotten. They're not revered as the keepers of wisdom and the final decision makers, like um, in, in former cultures or in former times. We also live in a society of huge gender inequality. Of course, this is being addressed and it is being shifted over time. And we live in a time where we are trying to correct prevailing uh, gender inequalities. But historically, women, women's health, women's concerns were not top of mind. For our society. I just want to remind listeners, it's only since 1920, that's 100 years ago, that women have had the right to vote and where their votes actually counted equally. It's only been 100 years. And if you think about Saudi Arabia, it's only since 2015 that women were given equal rights to vote. And also in the third, um, the, the third element, why we are not really celebrating this gateway of menopause 
is because our life expectancy never really provided the, the runway for it, so to speak. Because, I don't know if you know this, since uh, the 1900s, in the past 120 years, human life expectancy globally has gone up by, what is it? It's doubled. It has actually doubled in the last 100 years. And what is really fascinating is that, of course, we can expect that, as more and more attention is given to women and women's health concerns, their women's life expectancy has had much greater growth even than, than men's uh, life expectancy. So I just wanted to say that the narrative around menopause is not one that celebrates this gateway sufficiently. But we are for the first time in an age where women have the freedom, they have their health, they have the means to rethink how they want, how we want to spend the second half of our life. And, and, you know, it wasn't always like this. There was a time when the narrative about menopause and the narrative about older women was very, very different. You once mentioned that the archetype of the crone has changed over time. Could you explain this? Yeah, exactly. So I think I was beginning to think about olden days and how women were considered in a different light. You know, and one has to dig quite far and deep to find research on this. So in Celtic traditions, in the old Celtic traditions, older women were considered the wise ones. They were considered the seers of the clan, the spiritual guides and the healers. And they had great power in, in their societies. And in fact, in the ancient Celtic traditions, women and men had equal power. They had equal decision-making rights. They had equal power in the family. They had equal influence in terms of governance and the ability to hold roles in office to govern the community. And so that's in the Celtic tradition. If you go towards the Americas in Native American cultures, older women were very often the keepers of spiritual wisdom, and they were considered the storytellers of the tribe. Uh, and if you move a little bit closer to home, to the African continent, you know that even today in the African traditions, the Gogo, the grandmother, has huge esteem. The Gogo doesn't go off to an old age home. She still plays a transformative role in her family. She is the main uh, faith advocator in her family. She's the keeper of family traditions. She's the storyteller. She's the family educator. And never mind, she's the one who looks after the young ones, tells the stories, and installs the education in the young ones. So in African traditions, in countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Tanzania, and Ghana, older women held great, great power in the past. It's not like that today. But they held great power in the past in terms of governance and decision-making, and in Nigeria, women could very often attain the title of chief and have the same power as the chief, decision-making rights as to what should happen in the community. And it is really, really fascinating when you, when you see this historical empowerment of women and recognition of the gifts that they brought as they grew older and the disempowerment of women in, in the last centuries. And it's also really interesting, it's fascinating if you go and uh, look at the use of the word crone. So 
Mariette, the word crown actually being used in the 1300s. And the word actually means carrion or rotting flesh. Oh, goodness. Exactly. It was a derogatory word that emerged in the late 1300s. It's a French word. The, the, the um, etymology of it is French. And this word was then used to refer to an older woman referring to her as withered and feeble and actually on, in an unsavory way, in, a, in a, a degrading way. And then you watch the use of this word crone throughout the century and you see that the use of this word peaks in the mid to late 1800s. And then the use of this word uh, uh, declines and it almost disappears. By the mid-1900s, nobody is using the word crone. And suddenly, in the year 2000, from then onwards, you see this massive uptick in the use of the word crone, that it is being used today as much as it was used in the 1800s with the same prevalence of use. But today, women are actively working to reclaim this word crone as a word that speaks about the wisdom, that speaks about the power of women when they come into older age. And women's groups, activist groups, um, are actively using this word crone, the author of Women Who Run With Wolves. Mm. Um, Clarissa Pinkola Destes. Exactly. She speaks about the crone and using that specific derogatory word as a power word now to rewrite the narrative of the older woman and to use Chrome in its most empowered way. It's really fascinating. And, you know, then you have to look at what's happening on AI, because everything now today we reference with AI. And I quickly looked at, just for interest, I looked at what Chad GBT said about Chrome mm-hmm. and the origins of the word Chrome. And what is fascinating is that Chad GBT said that the origins of the word Chrome is from Kravan, which is an English, uh, old English word for the word crow, which means to cry out. And it already began to describe the more powerful aspects of the crone. Fascinating. It's already making its way into our social narratives. So, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, this is really, really powerful because the crone, maybe not the word, but the old woman used to be celebrated in ancient times. Thank you, Erica. My next question is, do you know of a place in the world where passing through the gateways of menopause and being initiated, so to speak, into crondom is celebrated? Mm. So I think this is a really, really important question because, to, to be honest, first when I started digging and trying to find out if there's a place you know, like the Kosa boys, when they, or the Suti boys, when they go through their initiation into manhood, it's a three-week period where they go into the wilderness in the Eastern Cape or in the Drakensberg or in the Suti. And I could not find a similar equivalent for women mm-hmm. who are going into this very productive period of their life. But I didn't give up. After some more digging, I found out that in South Korea, there is a ritual that commemorates a woman's passing into menopause and that really honors this accumulated wisdom, the accumulated uh, wealth of life experience. 
And they actually called the woman who passed through this gateway a Jesa, a J-E-S-A. And in Indonesia, uh, I found a, a menopause initiation. And actually, this is a really big party. It's a fantastically big ceremony celebrated by the entire community where women, when they go through the gateways, uh, walk to a symbolic tree. And the ceremony is actually called the cutting of the king's tree, where the woman transitions from being physically fertile to becoming spiritually fertile is actually marked. I think that is such a beautiful way to do it. And then in Cameroon, on the African continent, there's an elaborate ceremony called Ngonsu, not to be confused with the word Ngonsu, which means tomorrow in Kosa, but Ngonsu, which is a, a really big ceremony of song and dance that celebrates women's transition into this period or in, into this new place. And then in olden days, in the Apache tribe, I also found evidence and that there was a ceremony called Changing Women that also involved lots of ceremonies, blessings, and older women then teaching the women who were now going through their transition how to cope with it. So historically, yes, there were uh, initiation ceremonies, ways of revealing women going through this. But I couldn't find real live ceremonies in the majority of the Western world where we actually honor this transition. And you know, Marie, for me, I'm not an expert in menopause. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a guy. I'm an expert in well-being and I'm an expert in how to live your best life. But my longing for this work is that we will create a space where women actually have an opportunity to consciously with dignity and especially with vision, from vision through these power gateways. So that women can make the very most of this most productive part of their life. And that's what I really hope for. You know, that this is not the end. It's actually the beginning of the harvest. Exactly. Mm. How could this huge transition, as you mentioned, from physical fertility to spiritual fertility, how can it be reframed? Yeah. I mean, in, in the shortest sentence, I want to say to every woman out there who's going into perimenopause, any woman out there who's going into menopause, even if you're halfway through it, even if you're through the other way, that menopause is actually not the end. This is how we have to reframe the story. Menopause is the beginning of the richest, most productive. And when I say productive, I don't mean busy. I mean consequential part of one's life. You know, and so I think the first thing to recognize as women is that our greatest gift as women is not just having children. Yes, we have this amazing capacity to bear life. But our gifts are far beyond that. We have the gift of wisdom. We have the gift of relating. We talk about the relational economy and that women thrive um, in their careers in the relational economy because we are more likely to collaborate than we are to compete. The research tells us that. So we have the gift of relating. We have the gift of storytelling, of naturally teaching. We are the ones with the children. We have the gift of guiding, whether we are guiding our families, our communities, our governments. And we need to reframe this transition so that women can powerfully step into this new phase. And, and, I, and I think also to notice 
is that perhaps in the first years of our life, in the first half of our life, our focus is very much on perhaps mono-focused on one family, our children, um, our spouse, our career. But as we come through these gateways, and I see this over and over again when I speak with women who come through these gateways, that there is, in and after menopause, a broadening of perspective. And suddenly your concern is no longer mono, but your concern is for the next generation. Your concern is about the collective. So there's this broadening. And there's a sense that one has moved from ego concern to a concern for the greater good, you know, and in getting away from one's ego lies the greatest freedom. And I think that's why this gateway is so immensely powerful, because women get to step into their power because they move away from ego and fear into this concern with the other where the deepest freedom and actualization lies. Does this make sense? Oh, it's beautifully put. Erica, why do you call the gateways of menopause a power gateway? Sure. Because I feel it in my skin, I feel it in my bones, I feel it in my body. So that's, um, you know, Mariette, I never talk about anything, I never teach anything, I never share any science, unless it is a lived experience for me. And hmm. um, to be honest, um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, I hope, because when I came to menopause, I... I struggled greatly. But as I managed to find my feet two, three, four years uh, into menopause, for me personally, there has been an incredible sense of becoming more and more fearless, a, a growing fearlessness, a courage that I, and I've been courageous at many stages of my life, but I've never felt unexperienced courage like this before. And, you know, many, many women speak about this. Lots of women who go through menopause say they were absolutely terrified of public speaking. And suddenly they find themselves on stages and they are talking about the things that are important to them or maybe they are starting a new business for the first time in, in their life. They have the courage to do that or they're creating a new community of interest because there is this sense that Time is precious, but also fearlessness, because we don't really care. We are less prone to overthink and overworry about what other people tend to think of us. You know, we've become our own person, and this is really the feeling for me in menopause. I've become my own person. I know what it is that I want. I know who I am, and I and I don't mind if that doesn't suit everybody. I don't mind if that doesn't please everybody. And I am much less in the business of pleasing others than I am in the business of serving others for the best that I have. I love that. Absolutely. So, so I, I, I wish to serve and I wish to serve fiercely. And to say things that are sometimes uncomfortable, unpopular, but helpful. And I really, I know that in my 40s, this is not who I was. Yes, I had courage for other things, but this is definitely something that has grown very noticeably in me. And then the other thing is why I call this a power gateway is I spoke about longevity. I spoke about more means. And if we are fortunate enough in this period of our life, we tend, if we are fortunate enough, to have more 
time. You know, we, we perhaps less focused on building a career or less focused on raising children or less focused on trying to support our families. And we have more discretionary time and perhaps more discretionary resources at our disposal so that we can see the things that really talk to us. And, and to that point, we are also much more clear about the things that matter to us and we are much more willing to invest our energy into the things that will make a difference to those concerns that really speak directly to us. And for each woman, it's, it's different. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you remember in the workshop that you and I participated in, one woman said she's been serving her family her whole life and her greatest desire going into her 50s now is to learn the art of being a little bit more selfish. Mm. And what she meant by that is pursuing the things that she's passionate about rather than putting everything that speaks to her on the back burner to serve the others. You know, so for every woman, I'm not saying everybody has to now do service-driven work, but what I am saying is we need to take the time to think about the next 50 years of our life or 30 years of our life and think about how we really want them to manifest. Because these gateways can be so much more powerful if we interfere them consciously and deliberately and with a vision. Precisely. Now, how can menopause be a power gateway in firstly a woman's personal life and secondly in her work life? Thank you for this question because now we're beginning to get a little bit more practical. And when we talk about menopause, there are three things that we need to shift to answer this question. How a woman can use this gateway more powerfully in her work and personal life. So the first thing that needs to shift, I've already spoken about it, this narrative of menopause. And I will come back to that now. The second thing that needs to shift is how much we are educated about menopause. And the third thing is to set a clear vision for this next half of our life. So I just want to quickly talk about the, the narrative about menopause. Women can use this new narrative of menopause in their life in the following way. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Ellen Langer's. It was called the time, time travel study, I think, or turn time back study. No, I don't know it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. It was one of the most profound studies in psychology at the time. It was conducted in the, in the late 70s. And what she did is she um, had a group of elderly participants in a village, in a retreat setting. And then the instruction was to please, for the next two weeks, behave, dress, talk, eat, sleep, dance, read articles, watch movies of 20 years ago, when you were 20 years younger. What was absolutely groundbreaking at the time is as people imagined themselves younger and the story they told themselves about themselves and how they behaved, after five days, as little as five days in the study, people literally became younger. And what I mean by that is their hearing improved, their mobility improved, um, their energy, their levels of energy improved, their levels of cognition and memory improved. In fact, even their physical appearance improved. This is profound. The story we tell ourselves about menopause is the story that we're going to live 
the first thing we have to do is we have to begin to see this transition as a powerful gateway in our life. So that's the first thing how we can use it. The second thing we need to do to access these power gateways in our personal life and in our career life is to educate ourselves about menopause. You know, if I had to do a quick quiz right now and ask people questions like, how long do you think menopause lasts? How long do you think the symptoms of menopause last on average? Just to yourself, answer those questions. It's 7 to 14 years. I don't know if people know that. In terms of my lifestyle, what are the three biggest things I can do to change how my menopause manifests and who I am through this powerful gateway? What are the three practical things I can do to make a difference? Do you know what that is? Do you know And we're going to get back to that, hopefully, when we get into the practical stuff. What is the impact of menopause on my sex life? Do people know what the typical impact is and how to navigate that? What about HRT? Do you know about the different types of HRT? Do you know about the the false story that there was for many years on HRT and related cancers? Do you know what the research papers now say about Alzheimer's HRT, heart disease, and so forth. So you see what I mean? We really, really need to have the education out there easily accessible so that women know when they go into these power gateways. So that's the second thing you can do. First, change the narrative. Second, educate yourself about this. And then the third thing to do to really use this gateway in your personal and your private life is to set a very clear vision for this next period of your life. Find the time and the space, and ideally, this is what I so hope for in those transition experiences, that during your initiation, that you go through this goal setting, and call it goal setting on steroids, this visioning for the next part of your life together in a community of practice where you are with other women who can inspire you, and where you can create the kind of vision that is so compelling that you are supercharged and energized for what lies ahead, rather than feeling that this is the beginning of the end. So those are perhaps the three biggest things that we can do. Shift the narrative, educate yourself, and create for yourself a compelling vision. Thank you for being so practical about that. Now, before we go into more detail about how menopause can be reframed to turn those perceived losses into the juicy wins you are suggesting... Could you tell us about your own experience with menopause? Sure, right. I'm now 52 years old. My menopause came, well, maybe four years ago, I began to see the signs of it. And Mariette, all I can say is it was unbelievably tough. Some people barely notice their menopause, and some people almost lose their jobs, lose their health, lose their will to live. And I was somewhere on on the continuum towards the really uh, difficult experience of menopause. So I just want to say to listeners who don't know me, I'm an endurance athlete, and I'm really used to discomfort. I am used to pushing my body beyond the limits of endurance to that far place where I really know how to handle discomfort. The furthest, maybe for context, that I've ever run is 208 kilometers without one sitting. And sometimes we run for seven days in the desert and in 50 degrees, carrying all your food in your back for the seven days. And all sorts of 
injuries and pain and blisters and difficulties, once a broken rib, and I and I managed to still continue throughout that hypothermia. Name it. I really know how to deal with discomfort, and I don't fear it. Yet, when I went into men, uh, perimenopause, the discomfort that I started feeling was it was hard to bear. But because I, I'm used to just to fast date, I you know I, I try to get through the low mood. And I noticed that I lost muscle strength and I suddenly noticed that I had low energy and I just couldn't run as hard and fast anymore. But when I really started to notice was when I began to lose my uh, my joy, my joie de vie, my delight in the things that I used to absolutely love. And I just didn't feel like these things anymore. My drive was completely gone. And during that period, I still continued to run ultra-distance races, and I relocated from the UK back to South Africa, and I started a new business. But it was hard. It was like riding a a bicycle with no tires. I was riding on the rims. Because what I didn't know was that my estrogen, my progesterone, and my testosterone levels were literally declining year on year and heading for the bottom. Um, to where it was completely depleted. And I had no idea what impact this would have on me. So I saw this slow decline and I thought, gosh, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm a bit depressed. And then my period stopped and then my period became very irregular. And then once every three months, and I thought, okay, clearly I'm now going into, into menopause. And I thought I was going to just push through it until the hot flashes came. Hmm. Um, you know, some nights I would wake up 12 times to get up and get into the shower. So basically I stopped sleeping because I also, I didn't sleep when I had hot flashes. I, um, it was a dry heat and it, it I felt like I was setting the bed on fire and the world on fire. So I went to my mom because I trust my mom and I, you know, I really, I've got a great relationship with her. And so I said, Mom, I'm going through hell with these hot flashes. My mom said, really? No, I barely, I barely noticed menopause. <laughs> so, oh, stop being melodramatic. Just grin and bear it. And all through this, my motivation continued to decline. My energy, I got more and more exhausted. And then I started putting on weight. And I, no matter what I did, my old uh, tricks and strategies before comrades, you drop two or three kilograms, didn't work. You know, and after two years of this, or, or actually almost three years of this, I arrived with my doctor in tears and I said, please, can you help me? And she said, right, um, clearly your blood shows you've got no estrogen, no progesterone, no testosterone, try HRT. And of course, I didn't want to because I believe in the natural processes and why didn't I go through the natural processes? But it got so bad is that eventually I capitulated and I started trying different types of HRT. And after the third try, so the first HRT didn't work. I used the natural HRT. Then I used um, progesterone and estrogen separately. But to cut a long story short, the first, second and third types didn't work for me. So for all the listeners out there, if your first HRT doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean to give up on it. In the end, my doctor gave me uh, HRT with the primary substance in it is called Tibolone, T-I-B-O-L-O-N-E, and it saved my life. Tibolone saved my life. Within three months, I had my energy back. I had my drive back. 
I actually felt motivated to continue driving in my life in a way that I had not experienced for four years before that. So for four years, I went through real proper struggle without any help. And if only I had a community of women into which I could lean, and if only the narrative around menopause and the education around menopause was such that I already knew these things, that I knew I may go into difficulty, what would happen to my body, what could happen to my brain. You know, if you look at the, the brain changes that happens to us during that period of menopause, the brain changes are radical. We have a 30% decrease in the energy in our brain, which affects how long the neurons in our brain live during this period of menopause. And if you don't know this, you're basically running into a wall without the means to change that. You know, and to be honest, I would probably have pushed through um, just the natural way and not taking HRT because, of course, I was scared about breast cancer, I was scared about heart disease and all the things, the bad rap around HRT until I started reading the research papers that gave HRT such a bad rap and that the whole experiment around that was fraught and that the, the sample of people that they used to do that experiment with gave very skewed information. And so the tragedy is that when HRT came out, something like 38% of, 28% of the Western world's women started using HRT or in America. Now in America, the use of HRT is 4%. And we've literally lost two generations of women who could have been on HRT. And I'm definitely not here. And for some women, HRT is not a viable option. If you already have heart disease, if you have blood clots, there's a whole range of conditions that means you can't use HRT. For the rest of us, you can use it. A friend of mine gave me some statistics, and this was the last nail in the coffin why I decided to uh, use HRT rather than barebacking this 7 to 14 year process. And the statistics show that women who take HRT have 30% less plaque on their arteries. So I don't know if you know what the biggest killer of women is on the planet today. I think it's heart disease. That's exactly right. 21% of women will die of heart disease. One in five. If you're over 75 years old, one in two women will die of heart disease. If HRT has been shown to reduce the plaque on your arteries, which is the precursor of heart disease, why would we withhold this from women? The research on Alzheimer's, um, there's a lot of research that's going into it. They are not at the moment yet prescribing HRT specifically for Alzheimer's. But what they do know is that women on HRT have 20% less plaque on their neurons, which is a precursor of Alzheimer's. So why would you not do this? Then there's research on bone density. If you take HRT, you have significantly better bone density for much longer in your life than if you don't. And then I'm not even talking about mood enhancement, energy, drive, skin tone. I never thought I would say these words, but HRT saved my life. And of course, there are natural remedies also and natural approaches to this. My only request to listeners is don't wait. Go and explore this as a viable alternative. Go to your GP. Go to a GP. 
that really knows their stuff around HRT. You know, last year I turned 52 years old. And in one month, it was mid-October to mid-November. Or was it, no, mid-August to mid-October. I ran Comrades, which is a 90-kilometer road race. I ran Cape Town 13 Peaks. It's a 100-kilometer ultra-trail race in very, very high elevation uh, terrain. Uh, I think you climb almost the equivalent of Kilimanjaro in the race. Yeah. I ran the Utah 270-kilometer trail ultra, and I came second overall in a hugely competitive field. And in the same month, I swam to Robben Island, and anybody who knows me knows that I am not a swimmer. And I promise you, none of this would have been possible if I did not take the route of HRT. And this is why I want to create a community of practice and a community where we can talk about these things because every single woman's journey with HRT and with menopause is different. Erica, how has your journey with menopause shifted your own sense of power? You have touched upon it, but maybe you can say more. Yeah, so, so I mean, now I just spoke about the element of feeling as empowered as I was when I was 40 years old or 38 years old at the peak of my endurance career. But I think there's a more important element than the physical, uh, at least for me. It is really this deep um, trust in oneself. That is the source of my greatest shift of from before and after menopause. Now, caring so much less uh, about what other people think and really being your own person, knowing what it is that you want, knowing what you stand for and being much less focused on the external and much less focused on the superficial. I feel so much more concerned about what the thing is and what it looks like. I want to know the essence of it, the spirit of it, rather than how it presents. You know, and the other thing that also um, happened for me in this period of menopause, which was extraordinary, I would never have predicted it, is increasing love of solitude. Loving spending time by myself. I cannot remember when last I felt lonely. And you know, I lived for 10 years in the UK, Maria, to know that. And I remember many, many, many times where I felt desperately lonely. Desperately lonely. That has left me. It has left me completely. And I have fallen in love and and falling in love more and more day by day with solitude. And then something else that's happened for me is that I've really shifted from being concerned about my performance, my prestige, perhaps my status, and I'm much more focused on the impact. Um, what is it that I'm going to leave? What, what is the difference that I make, even in the smallest act? So definitely my life has become a lot more purpose-driven. And I'm not worried about how much money I make. I'm worried about when I leave this planet, what footprints do I leave here? And what is better um, for me having been here? Mm-hmm. And I think another huge shift for me on an emotional and spiritual level, I almost call this a spiritual sense, is there's a lot more joy just for the fact of being alive. Sort of a pervasive joy, um, less angst, less anxiousness. And I'm also a lot, like I said before, I'm a lot more fierce. I say no more easily. I'm much more discerning about how I use my time 
before I would have felt guilty and I would have just gone along and done what I thought other people would um, have wanted from me. Now I really calculate and I work out what is wise, what is a good way of spending my time, what is a good way of being right now. And I let that drive um, my decisions. You know, I've even written on a big piece of paper and I put it up in my house. If this does not give me deep energy and a sense of meaning and joy, don't do it. Say no. Mm-hmm. I think the final step for me is uh, a feeling of much greater peace um, and equanimity uh, and acceptance. Um, so there's, there's a lot more peace in my, in my heart. And because there's a lot more peace, strangely enough, there's a lot more productivity. I get a lot more done now because I'm in less stress, I suppose. That is very encouraging. quick note on what I do and why I do it. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My weekly podcast episodes and the articles on my website focus on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode and article features a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. Don't forget the up close and personal articles on my website which offer you a peek at the person behind the expert. If you're a wellness expert who'd like to be featured on my platform, just click on services on my website and then send me an email. Now, back to my guest. What is your vision for the new phase of your life? Thank you for that. Uh, I have to say the calling is so clear for me. I want to write more. So, you know, I published Run for the Love of Life uh, now almost two years ago. Yes. Um, and I just want to mention it's a wonderful book for everybody listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I really, really love uh, writing Run. And, and I've had a lot of feedback from many people saying the book has helped them get motivated. Um, it's helped them through difficult times. And now my next book, uh, Quest for the Edge, is sort of a sequel, a sequel that precedes the years of Run for the Love of Life. And I want to write. I want to write. I want to use my time to influence. I want to harvest the wisdoms and the the things that I had the privilege to learn in my life. And I want to bring this harvest to the world. And, And there are several books in the hopper. That's the first thing. I mean, the, the next vision is to, and this is what I'm daily busy with, is to bring my um, business more and more into the, the daily narrative for people. So to make it mainstream, to make the science of happiness mainstream in schools, mainstream in corporate, so that, so that people actually know how to help themselves. And that, I don't know if you know the statistics around the depression epidemic uh, globally, actually. Now it's one in three people are struggling with depression. If you're 18 to 24 years old, that's one in two. Um, and I want to make the science of happiness, the science of well-being, 
so practical, so simple, so accessible that everybody can access it. And I want to live with great power and relevance day to day in every place that I am. You know, I, I want to live, like Lizanne said, I'm not dead yet. Um, and to, <laughs> to, still, to still be relevant in the, in the communities in which I work. And this leads us to the practical question. Could you mention some practical tools to help menopausal women transition to the power version of themselves? So I mentioned the first two things, and I will delve deeper into the third one. So the first one is if you somebody who journals, if you are somebody who hosts dinner parties with your other um, lady friends, with, with the girls, really help to shift this narrative. You know, you must try this experiment. The next time somebody says to you, oh, aren't you cold? Say so to them, no, I have a hot flash. Um, I'm in menopause. And <laughs> you will see the, the, the flinch. Mm. People are not used to talking about the subject. So wherever I have half a chance, I bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> in the gym with the 21-year-old uh, personal trainer boy, he is getting used to the fact that menopause is a delightful part of human life. So wherever you have an opportunity, begin to shift this narrative of menopause as a potentially powerful gateway in one's life and to not lose this opportunity. So that's the first thing. And I think for every woman, this is a, it is absolutely our duty to do this so that the women who come after us don't navigate this in the dark. We need to be a lighthouse in a way to say this way. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, to really get very, very clear on what your vision is for this next version of or a, a period of your life. Marietta said it before, human beings are autocelic. We are goal-driven. We need goals to have a whole and fulfilling life. And why not for the second half of your life? In positive psychology, we describe human behavior as helotropic. So that means that human beings tend in the direction of an imagined future. As a society, we have imagined the future for postmenopausal women. We call the crone, withered carrion, the end. As women, each and every one of us have to take the time and make the space, even if you do it together with others, find your tribe, where together you can articulate for yourself a very clear vision for your life so that that heliotropic principle drives you in the direction of a superbly magnificent positive future. And then the third thing, and now I'm going to get super practical, is to really clean up your lifestyle. There are actually many uh, sites where you can get information on, on menopause. One is called Red Hot Mama. The other one is called a, a really big one, fantastic, fantastic videos on differences in, in race, socioeconomic groups in society, different ethnic groups in society. Menopause is not homogeneous. So in American society, they have for menopause, they have many videos that women can, can go and research. So go and educate yourself. But the one thing that all these sites have in common is that they say you have to sort out your lifestyle. So 
So if you are somebody who doesn't get exercise, exercise is what will stop you from getting osteoporosis. You have to move your body three times a week. We know that women who go into menopause are at greater risk of depression and of anxiety. This is a fact. We also know that one of the most powerful ways to regulate out of anxiety and out of depression is through moving our bodies regularly and getting exercise. Exercise is not a nice to have. In positive psychology, we don't describe exercise as an antidepressant. We describe not exercising as a depression. And so going into menopause, it is absolutely critical to move your body. This is no longer a night. Maybe when you were 20, you could get away with it. When you were 30, less so 40. When you hit menopause, you cannot get away with not getting exercise. So find something you love. Find your tribe. You are 80% more likely to do something if it is something that you love and doing it with other people. We call it collective exercise. It's actually the feeling that we unlock. So get exercise. I almost want to stop there so that people only have one thing so that if it's one thing they do, mm. they do that. But I would renege my responsibility if I do. The second thing is what you eat determines what genes you express. It's as simple as that. Our lifestyle determines 80% of our genetic expression. Skip the sugar. Please skip the sugar. Make sure that you eat plates and plates of whole food and veggies. So, I mean, I'm not going to go into a dietary expose now, but, but the, the most important thing to know is this, that those societies where people are healthiest, happiest, and live longest, the blue zoners, the one thing that we know from their eating is that they eat veggies, that about 80% of their plants is non-animal products um, and whole foods, not full of pesticides, not processed, not full of e-numbers, not full of aspartame, whole foods and veggies. So how you eat, what you eat is how you become over time. We know that and what genes uh, ultimately express. And then the third thing that I want to touch on, and I, I want to gather sleep, stress management, and nature immersion into one topic. The third practical thing that you can do to help you through menopause in a way that is really powerful is to spend time in nature. We know that stress, high stress, is one of the contributing factors um, that make menopause much worse, that lead to physical difficulties and the emotional difficulties that we may have in this transition period. We also know that the way that we regulate stress the fastest is actually spending time in nature. Actually, it's physical exercise in nature. Um, many studies point to the fact that your cortisol, your blood pressure, and your heart rate all comes down, your, your, your biomarkers of stress come down twice as fast in nature settings than in urban settings. So really that time that you spend in the mountain, at the river, on the patch of grass, or gardening, many people take to gardening, and for good reason, that time is life critical to reduce your stress and to help you to live well. So those are the practical things, Mariette, is really take care of this period of one's life so that you can make the best of this super, super gateway into your best life. And maybe if I could just say, 
on supplements. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dietitian. I'm a coach in well-being and a, and a positive psychologist. But what we do know from the research is that magnesium, vitamin C, turmeric, and omega-3, those four are profoundly helpful for women in menopause. And you can go and uh, look at the research on that. And then, of course, make sure that you sleep enough between seven and nine hours. If you have a very high-stress physical job, you can even need up to 10 hours sleep a night. But really get sleep under control, your stress management under control. And journal, meditate, do all those things that really help us to minimize our stress. And, and actually to have a good relationship with stress, because stress itself is not bad. It's chronic stress that's the killer. So how do you have big on buttons where the stress can be an enabler? And how do you have big off buttons? You know, the successful, most successful people in the world have large on buttons where they can absolutely perform at their highest peak. And then they'll have huge off buttons where they then restore. How big are your off buttons? Make them bigger. So eat well, sleep well, exercise, spend time in nature, manage your stress. 10 minutes of meditation goes a long way to calming your sympathetic nervous system out of fight and flight. I can go on about this for hours, but it's really about how you live your life that will support you through this period. You've mentioned the Power Gateway online gathering where you spoke and that I was privileged to attend. And I know that your own experience of menopause has motivated you to start conversations around this life phase. Would you like to tell us more? I thank you so much, Mariette, because the, the whole point of this is that we want to invite women to come and join us on this journey. So the first workshop that we held Maybe about a year and a half ago, I was on fire with the need to create an opportunity for women to come and join and talk together and normalize their experiences about menopause and to begin to make menopause a topic that we can speak about with each other and broadly in society. I then approached Dialogue South Africa, very, very well-known uh, learning and development company run by two sisters, Lizanne and Mandy. Two wonderful women, both of whom have gone through menopause and have understood this transition. I approached them to collaborate and create workshops. And I, and I actually want to uh, call it a talking circle where women come together for just 90 minutes. And we have a facilitated session for free where we talk about the latest research in menopause what we know about how we can manage our menopause better, how we can stay well, what about brain health, what about physical health, what about heart health. So we share some content around that. And then we speak together about what it is that we need to let go of, what it is that we need to begin at this period of our life. And every 90-minute session is just an opportunity to hear other women's experience of menopause, what it is that they hope for, and to get inspired. And over time, what our wish is to do is to invite women from all over the world into these circles where it becomes a destination place where you can come and make sense of your menopause experience, learn some really vital information, and also inspire other women on the journey. So that's what we are trying to do together. Will this all be online? 
for now, Maria is trying to make it as accessible as possible for everybody, and it's all online. It's 90 minutes together. It's possibly the most vital place where you can go and talk together about menopause, learn about the new insights of menopause um, around menopause and health. So it's all online, and if you are interested in joining our workshops, please follow me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. That's the two places where we'll definitely post about the next workshop, which is going to be when I get back from Greece in August, um, where where I do uh, life-changing kayaking trips for for women. So we're going to be doing that in August, or you can directly email me at contact at thrive dash guru.com and Marietta, that's not very clear maybe it, it will appear in the text and I know how sorry you are so I'm sure it will appear in the text and my invitation is this this is not just for women in menopause or women who are going through menopause or women who have gone through this is for women even in perimenopause and I would argue to say that the hardest three years of my life was when I had no idea what on earth was going on with me Where did my motivation go? Where did my energy go? And if only I had a group of women who could hold my hand during that period of perimenopause, I would have made some decisions much earlier that took me four years to make. And I want to create a space so that other people don't have to enter this period of their life unprepared because there is so much opportunity. And, and, and if you're caught off guard, why be caught off guard if, if you don't have to? So my dream is to start a groundswell of women who know enough about menopause, who can guide each other through it, who can talk together about it. And then ultimately, my greatest hope and dream with this year's Mariette is to create an initiation experience. You know, when my sister's son is Koza and we watched him go off to his three-week initiation and the pride and the honor and the... It shifted his life. I yearn for something similar for women going through these power gateways, maybe not for three weeks, maybe for seven days, getting together somewhere in the world where we can go through an experience and create this new vision and prepare ourselves perhaps for the greatest harvest. That's what I hope for. I must tell you, this gives me goosebumps. Yeah. No, I, I really hope this happens. But we're going to start slow, and what we're going to try and do is literally every six weeks or so have a workshop where we just build community, build community, build community, and we know when the time is right, we will know because the community will be ready and will be asking for it, and then that initiation opportunity will just flow out of that togetherness and, and community that we've created. I'll definitely include your email address in the podcast notes. And then I'd just like to mention that this 90-minute seminar, which you mentioned, will be free of charge. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to take place regularly. Yeah, every six weeks we hope to have a 90-minute session and to build this community. Yeah, and I can't think of any single thing more powerful than a community of women supporting each other in these gateways. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah. Erica, where can listeners learn more about your work? 
Um, so the best place to go is to go and subscribe to my newsletter. I promise I don't send one often. I only send one when there is really something to say, and then it's worth reading. Uh, on my website, it's thrive-guru.com. They can go there, or they can follow me on LinkedIn, because we have just started a whole series on the science of well-being, the power skills of well-being, and every single week, twice a week on a Monday and on a Thursday, I publish one small skill that you can take away that week and that you can embed and implement in your life, and little by little, the accumulation of these small weekly incremental changes fundamentally shifts where you end up in your life and who we become over time. You know, it's the, it's the power of small incremental gains. So find me on LinkedIn, Erica Tablanche. That's probably the most vital uh, place. Or if you're new generation, you can follow me on Instagram, Erica underscore Tablanche. Instagram, we will definitely post there about the power gateways. But there I do more fun things about more in the physical world what's happening and sometimes some posts on, on, on well-being hacks and tips and skills. Thank you. Could you now give us your three tips on public speaking, please? Okay. So in my 40s, I would rather have run naked through the Himalayas and climbed Everest <laughs> naked and give a talk. Um, that has completely changed in my life and in the past 10 years about the privilege of building strong on-stage skills. And what I want to say is that the three biggest things that I've learned in public speaking is this. When you stand on the stage, three things, three skills, is don't think of it as a performance. Think of it as a conversation. That is absolutely paramount. Don't get up there and think you have to um, be absolutely perfect. Really go out there to have a conversation with people. Try and involve the audience and let your sympathetic nervous system relax because you're having a conversation with your fellow, like the Dalai Lama says, brothers and sisters, out there in the audience, humans in this human life, trying their best to be happy. So that's the first one. Have a conversation. Don't perform. The second tip is, Please don't try and impress people. Make your focus to connect. People don't remember your content. They remember the way you made them feel. Really connect with people. Make them feel how much you care. Connect with others. And then the third thing is, um, we know that one of the most vital ingredients of a talk is genuine passion for what it is that you are talking about. But uh, like love is not enough, you need skills. Passion is not enough. Please add some data for credibility and smile. Very often people get so serious about their content that they forget that they need to smile. Your content becomes more accessible in the appropriate places when your audience looks at a person who is on fire for their topic and smiling and giving some data for credibility. So those are my three tips. They seem very simple, but it has changed my public speaking. I don't perform, have a conversation. Thank you, Erica. Are you willing to have a fun question? If there's time, I love your fun questions. You always, <laughs> I, I love your, <laughs> your creativity. <laughs> this is a simple one, Erica. But remember, we're going to the world of the imagination. My yeah. question is, 
If you could be a feather, where would you like to find yourself? Oh, wow. That's incredible. I could go anywhere as a feather. Mm. So because I'm going to be landing on the sea sometime soon, I don't want to go there. You know, I, if I was a feather, I would like to float into the inner chambers of our country's politicians' homes to hear what it is that they really think and feel about South Africa, where we are at. Um, I would like to know that, you know, for me, the, the, the understanding where, you know, what people really, really think, when the masks come off, when uh, they don't have to pretend anything. That's where I want to be. I want to hear what, what the truth is. So that's, if I was a feather, I'd like to float into the inner chambers and I'd like to want to choose every day a different person's inner chamber and I'd want to go and visit to find out what's going on, what's really going on. <laughs> You've surprised me with your answer. <laughs> what did you think? Where did you think I was going to say? I him? thought oh. you would want to be, you know, on an eagle or something like that. <laughs> Attached no, to an no, eagle. But- no, it's because I already do that. I'm already in the mountains. I'm in nature so much. No, now I want to, I, don't, I won't name the politicians, but there are particular people I'd love to hear the real story. <laughs> I, I get you. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. Oh, Erica. Yeah. And I'd also like to mention you and I have done an episode on nature immersion and there you spoke about taking a small group of people or women to go kayaking in Greece and it seems to me there that's where you're off to again. Yes so I'm so incredibly excited about this because um, I'm running seven trips this year the trips are five days long and uh, we actually pack our kayaks we become self-sufficient the food and sleeping bags and so forth and then we kayak 80 kilometers on the beautiful shimmering Asian sea and we arrive in port at Tavernas. We stop, we eat beautiful Greek salad with homemade fresh, fresh feta cheese. Then we paddle away again and at night sometimes we stay in a monastery or on a beach on an island that can only be accessed by a boat or we stay in a small Greek uh, pension. And honestly, Maria, the change I see in people at the end of this journey, it really moves me more greatly than any talk I've ever given or any piece of work I've ever done because nature does the work. Um, It's really profound to see. So Mm. if we go to Lesbos in Greece, then one day please come and join us there. It would be incredible to have you along. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And thank you, Erica, for taking the time today to talk to us about menopause and especially for being a trailblazer for women entering this act of life. Yeah, and thank you so much for interviewing me and for the great, incredible work that you do to bring all these resources very easily accessible to people. It really makes a difference. We don't have to suffer so much. And your resource bringing healthcare providers and well-being providers into people's living rooms, so to speak. 
I think that is of incalculable worth. So thank you so much for that work. And it's a privilege to collaborate with you. Oh, I appreciate that. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I'd love you to subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. And if you found this episode as intriguing as I did, please share it with someone you care about. You're welcome to go to my website, www.marietsneeman.co.za, for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love and intimacy, parenting, emotional health, and managing life's challenges. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 